point game. Just play the game. A little new thing that we doing. Uh, come on, folks. I mean, happy to be joined by Another edition of the Point Game Podcast. Subscribe to us right here on iTunes or catch us on SoundCloud, Point Game Podcast on SoundCloud as well, along with my partner, Vinny Goodwill. Of course, we record these things. We're so busy with our schedules. You know, Vinny don't reply to people's text messages. I got all these ideas, people, and Vinny just be busy with D-Wade, interviewing D-Wade after games, so he never returns my calls. So, so I'll you done? Are you done? I'm done, man. Um, tell the people why we've been delaying the podcast. And you've been doing big, long projects that involve quotes from prominent NBA coaches not named Greg Popovich and things <laughs> of that nature. So uh, let's let's not uh, let's not play that game. We've both been very busy. I'm in LA uh, on the Bulls circus trip at the uh, JW Marriott. It feels uh, good, doesn't it? You know what? I heard this was going to be the last circus trip, man. I heard it in a circus trip after this. Allegedly. Allegedly. You, you know, we've been told a lot of things in the media, things that will that we were told over the past several weeks and months that will never, ever, ever happen. And then, guess what? Things happen. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you know what, man? I've been listening to a lot of uh, podcasts, uh, predominantly hip-hop podcasts lately, and I've been so... Jealous, man. I mean, hip hop is just one of those. It's a it's a podcast subject that I don't think I could ever get tired of. I mean, from Joe Button to uh, I'll name this podcast later. His podcast, Combat Jack, Rap Radar's podcast, uh, Tax Stone. Um, I mean, it's just a whole and then Drink Camps. I mean, it's a whole bunch of podcasts that's been out there, man. I don't know if you've been keeping in touch with it, but I mean, it's some. It's some I've been doing things called covering the team, Jabari. I mean, on the plane, man. I mean, I, you know, when I'm traveling, I don't travel as much as I did when I when I was in Portland. But you know, in traveling, I listen to them when I'm when I get up in the morning instead of turning on television and, and seeing reruns from highlights. I listen to a podcast instead, man. Lately, I've been watching a lot of CNN. Of course, you know why. But CNN, MSNBC. But um, you know, I'm telling you, you got to just start getting into it, man. It's a fascinating thing. And and I found out that we have, I'm going to try to we we have a mutual guy. You know, you you know him, Maul, from Joe Budden's podcast. And I'm, I want to get him on a podcast and, and talk to him a little bit, man. Because I, I wanted to pick your brain. And I'm going to pick Darrell Wright's brain. We got him coming up. Darrell Wright played for the uh, – was just way from the Los Angeles Clippers uh, last month in time. And now, you know, a free agent out there. I hope he gets picked up. Played for the Blazers last year and played in China. Played for the Sixers. Played for the Warriors. Played for Miami Heat. So um, has ties to Dwayne Wade. Vinny asked him about that. But he's coming up on the podcast. But – I want to get to the top, like, ten artists, hip-hop artists of all time one of these days, man. I know you got a list from got to have a list. Top ten, I mean, my top ten probably would be the same top ten I had five or six years ago. Like, I can't get with these new guys. None of them? Oh, that's what I said of all time. Let me ask you this, because this has been, uh, I guess, something that's been I, – I even asked the Spurs players about it, and, you know, they, did, they had no idea who Coogee Rat was. So, you know, I was like, I don't know if I was more offended, but I figured if I was Coogee Rap, I, I'd be offended if I heard that. But is he fit? Is he anywhere on your top ten? Probably not, but, I mean, respect paid. Okay. okay. Is Eric B, Rakim, anywhere on your top ten? Maybe, but respect paid. I mean, it, music, like everything else, is, is a matter of preference and, and space and time. I think a lot of times are um, – our connections to favorites basically revolve around where we are in life, you know, at that time. Almost yeah. sort of to a degree where if, if you're when you're in high school, whoever you're listening to when you're in high school during those formative years, you know, where you're trying to figure life out and stuff like that, those are going to be the people that you probably gravitate to the most just because of the – whenever you listen to music or – you watch an old basketball game or something like that, at least for me, it takes me back to a certain time in my life. Right. That's why I think if, if, if hip-hop and talking basketball on hip-hop is why, you know, is, is, is 
to me, it's a correlation because they both they're they're in the same world. You know, hip hop artists love hoops, most of them, and you know, I think it's vice versa with basketball and 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 Kevin Durant. By the way, what do you think of that? Uh, and 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 players, I should say, what do you think of that little Drake Kevin Durant exchange? I thought it was funny. I thought it was really funny. I think I think Drake. I think people about to start getting tired of Drake. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Um, I've been long tired of Drake, but I, I think people will start want to start getting tired of Drake um, being a groupie and then becoming a heckler. Like you can't really, I don't know if you can really, you can't, you can do both in theory, but you know you can't. It, it's well, hard that to, side it, of the Drake, line is blurred. Does that side of Drake, which you see, you know him rocking, you know what is he? He would Duke, right? No, he would Kentucky. 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 Whoever hot, Kentucky jerseys, right? He goes the number one team at the time. That's what Drake is rocking with. Well, he he goes to some Golden State Warriors game. In fact, I saw him last season when the Spurs played the uh, Golden State Warriors and Golden State for the first time. He goes to those games sometimes, and obviously he's a big Toronto fan because he's from there. But the off the when you see him anywhere except for behind the mic, does that take away from his legacy when he's on the mic? You're like, oh my god, man, this goofy guy, like he. He's doing all this dumb stuff, bumping Kevin Durant and talking trash. Does that take away from his music legacy? I don't think the dude has a music legacy. I'm mean, once again, you're uh, not you're talking crazy. to someone who's a Drake crazy. fan. He he whines, he whines, and he's ushered he's ushered in a legacy of simpish, soft, emotional music. Yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't endorse it. So when you talk about these emo rap guys and all this other type of stuff. Hey, if you rock with Drake, that's your thing. Not really mine. But I, I would like to I would like to commend you on another subject, uh, uh Mr. Young. I I was on a plane and a file came on over uh over Twitter uh last week. Mm-hmm. And it was of you uh <laughs> getting the thoughts of one Greg Popovich poking and poking and prodding asking the question or the questions that seemingly um, your other contemporaries didn't want to or maybe they weren't as interested in. Uh, well, get, it, it, get, it, given the time. The that. Here's the deal with that. First of all, thanks to all those people. I put the audio on SoundCloud. That thing got over like a million uh, listens. That's crazy. And I start getting jealous. Like, God damn, why can't we get that many listeners on our – we had a million listeners on our podcast. We would have blew up by now. Man. We would have probably – been signed to CBS Radio or something like that, like a million listens for the Greg Popovich audio. And I understand why I was a sensitive subject. Um, but before I before I get back into that, let me tell you something. Drake is – I listen to Drake. He, I, I can't agree with you. He's he's hot, and he's the probably the hottest rapper right now in the game. I mean, he just is. He just, he's on another platform right now. He's on another stratosphere right now. He's just he, – he's probably the hottest dude in the game. Um, secondly, back to the Popovich thing, actually uh, somebody did ask him, uh, and he didn't answer at first. They asked him the day after the election on Wednesday. Um, we, they had, the Spurs had a game that day, and, you know, obviously we all watched the results on Tuesday. Wednesday they had a game, and one of the reporters um, asked him a question about it, and he completely tore the uh, – he, he completely ignored the subject, and I think because it was just – in my opinion, I think it was asked too fast. Uh, that was the first question. As soon as Greg Popovich walked through the door, he says hello, and that's the first question he's asked. I've always been one of those type guys who, if I see a subject that I don't, I want to ask about that doesn't involve basketball, I'll wait until all the basketball questions get out of the way because, you know, one question that goes wrong can ruin the whole conference. And I think the mood of that conference after that question was just – it goes downhill from there. So with Greg Popovich, you got to kind of – you know, for all those journalists out there who's always wondering about Greg Popovich, here's the best way – that I found to approach him and that I've learned from the great Buck Harvey who retired uh, from the San Antonio Express News, you know, Godspeed, Mr. Harvey, great career. Um, and you got to test people's moves, you know what I'm saying? Vinny, I think you've been in this game long enough. You understand how, you know, to, to work with people with their mood, and you got to see what type of mood Greg Popovich is in. If he's in one of those laughable-type moods, then, you know, then it's, if you ask the question right, he'll probably give you a significant answer. Um, and if he's not in a good mood, you start noticing, you know, one-word answers for the question or him, you know, giving you back a remark that's smart and because he doesn't want to answer it, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to say this for another day. So after 
that question got out of the way. The Spurs had off on Thursday before they played Friday again. <laughs> and, of course, uh, you know, on Thursday I started thinking about it. Friday morning I started thinking about it. Like, yo, you know, there's got to be a way to ask him that. And so if you go listen to the audio, I just, you know, I, I, I wanted to ask the question in a way that allowed him. He had to be responsible uh, to answer that because there are a lot of people out there who, and I was really real when I said this to him, there are a lot of people out there who looked at his voice, no matter if you agree with him or not, and they, they say, yo, I was thinking the same thing. And uh, quiet is kept the first time I've ever, this is the first time I'm saying, I say something for the podcast. There's actually a couple of first players that commended me for asking Greg Popovich that question for the very reason why, because they couldn't say the answer that Greg Popovich gave. And, um, and, that's, and that's the thing. And, and that's yeah. the two points I want to dovetail off. A, it takes someone like one of us, and by one of us, usually black a people. minority. Not not, yeah. not necessarily a black people, but a minority, because a woman could have asked that question. Yeah, a, that's, a woman, that's true. That's true. A woman would have thought to ask that question. In the losers, way. the so-called losers of this election, minorities. You know, if you're you know part of the lesbian gay community, uh, you know, women, anybody who this election you felt did not uh, th- that that the people who are, I think scared by the fact that Mr. Donald Trump, President-elect Donald Trump, because the man won, what he represents, the people who don't agree with what he represents, I think, are allowed to, to ask those questions. But, you know, um, I don't know if that played a part in it or not, but, you know, I'm glad I got No, I think, I, I think he can sense in that way. I think people can sense a certain level of, of thoughtfulness and perspective and relatability you know, from from you as opposed to maybe, quote-unquote, a member uh, of the majority. My second point, and it sort of leads into what you said about some of the Spurs players, is that it takes, I won't say it takes a Popovich or a Stan Van Gundy or Steve Kerr. Those are members of a privileged class. So they can speak out and say some of the things that they said in a way that a guy like Doc Rivers can't say, in a way like uh, uh, Lionel Hollins can't say, in a way like David Fisdale can't say. Not only are these coaches, you know, made men, so to speak, you know, championship-style coaches, you know, Stan doesn't have a ring, but he's considered a, a top five, top ten coach. Yeah. But those guys are respected through the league and their opinions hold a lot of weight. Yeah, Popovich is, you know, obviously the, the dean of all of this. So there's going to be a certain level of, of respect paid by the masses. But just but put it like this, Doc Rivers couldn't say what Greg Popovich said. And Doc Rivers has jewelry. And Doc Rivers has receipts given his background. But he couldn't say the things that Greg Popovich says. And it takes someone like that to say that for people to pay attention. Right. If you understand what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, and that's, and that's, yeah, and that's, what you just said is, is one, that's why I phrased the question I, I phrased, because there are people, and I learned this when I asked, you know, when I was, you know, and I think it took a minority to ask this question about, you know, the, the, the state of what's going on, what was going on with, you know, with the cops and, and black men, you know, police officers and black men. So, you know, I asked that question to Greg Popovich early on and before the season started. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I got a great answer from so far, I'm two and zero in the Greg Popovich giving great answers. <laughs> so, Nobody's um, ever going undefeated, so don't. Uh, yeah, don't. I, I think I might just call it quits, man. Like I mean, but you know the pressure now, right? When there's a big subject that needs they're going to be come asked, to you and you're, yeah, you're exactly. the pop whisperer. Let me tell you something. You don't know how many pats on the back I got from from people who I normally really don't talk to at work like that. I mean, I got see people. Hey, good job. Which I'm like, oh, I, you talk to me? <laughs> 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 no, nah, I'm it, standing it, around. It, no, 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 no. It happens like that. No, no, no. Because no, no. sometimes, sometimes after, if you write a big story that someone uh, didn't get, or you ask those type of questions, you'll get responses one of two ways. Either you'll get treated with complete silence, or you'll get some form of positive affirmation. And there's no guarantee what you'll get one way or the other. But I, I think, and, and it can't be, it can't be stressed enough. Because there are some coaches, and there's coaches I've been around, who I know wouldn't touch that subject with a 10-foot pole, be it because of whatever their own beliefs are. The subject of black men and police officers? No, not just that. Oh, the the election. Even even what the election represented. I I think 
you know, everybody doesn't have to be one – everybody doesn't have to think one way. Clearly, by the 50-something million votes, there are plenty of people who aren't, who don't think the way that we think or who felt it fit that President-elect Donald Trump was fit enough to run the country. But for people to be able, for people to be able to express for, for people to be able to express a Jabari, it, it isn't a given because there are a lot of people who would choose to stray away from the subject. Period, either because of what they believe or yeah. the fact that they they don't want to wade into that. And that's Jabari. That's the reason why I never get on people for really speaking their truth, kind of. Unless it's stupid, you know. We've had. There's been some really stupid things that's been said and written this week. I'm not even going to mention any names. But there's been some really (laughs) stupid things that's been said. And I won't get on people for speaking their truth, but their truth has to have a basis of truth to it. Do you not agree? I do. You know, I do, and but the, what I what I agree with more is that I, I have more respect for those people. Either you, even if you don't agree with them or not, um, they come out and they speak their mind. I don't and, respect you know, people who say stupid stuff. Yeah, but you know what though, man, this is this is what makes our democracy what it is because we, we have we create a lane for people to say those stupid stuff. That's true. Uh, and and other countries, if they said stupid stuff out their mouth, some some countries you get you know your life taken away from you for that. That's so, true, but you can't. Of, but you can't but, criticize oh, one it, person it, for freedom of speech. But Jabari, you can't Jabari, you can't you can't criticize someone for freedom of speech and then a week later come out and express freedom of speech. That's kind that kinda of makes you a hypocrite. Doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, let, sorry. Let, let me <laughs> let me I'm just um, making sure. I'll just make it yeah, sure, Jabari. Yeah, but you know though, man, we are in a I think both in a um a very uncertain place right now and then we're also in a very in a very good place right now i really think i really think we're in a very good place right now people if they're not woke i hope they wake up soon because what's about to go down in the next four years eight years possibly i mean that's why we're not in a good that's why we're not in a good place but you know what though we are because this is going to really test people's strength and it's going to test their faith and it's going to test everything about being a human being in this world that's and not some a people, good. That's not a good thing. You like know what? Though, but it is. It is. How? How? It is because, like, I, because it, then you, you, this, this is what people, this is what people ask for. This is what happened. President-elect Donald Trump won the race fair and square. Okay, and if it, I wouldn't whatever, say fair and square, Jabari, there's something I, called voter suppression in some of those swing states that swung though, in the it, opposite it, direction. That's very true. But like I told you before, you asked me if I if I voted and and for Donald Trump. Donald Trump won 13% of the black men vote. That's a high number for people who were projecting that he wouldn't even get to 5%. He got 13%. I was out with some a friend of mine uh, recently, and we were discussing. Don't go down this, Jabari. Whether it was, it could be, it could have been. A, what I'm trying to tell you is, and what we and we've discussed this, uh, we've discussed this before. You know, this isn't the first time, our first time discussing. It's just the first time on wax. Jabari, we as black men, it, even if it was a hundred, no, no, no group of people is going to be a monolith. No group, white women, white men, college educated, uncollege educated, black people, Hispanics, no group is going to be one hundred percent in any direction. So to say that that and that and is that thirteen percent significant in the vacuum? Perhaps, but when you look at it in a vacuum. That 13% did not win or lose the election. The it higher didn't. numbers, the higher numbers meant a whole lot more. Because, yeah, Jabari, you're going to have people who identify with Ben Carson or who think a certain way or who, and who separate themselves from their own race and culture as a whole. 13%, that, that's, to me, that's not an extraordinarily high number. It's higher than I expected, but it's not an extraordinarily high number. All black people do not think the same, and I don't expect all black people to think the same. Black men, black women, whatever. So I don't look at it the same way you do. I look at it as to, to say, I look at that as to say I'm disappointed in just everything as a whole. Not because it's a Republican, Democrat, whatever. Because I don't really go into the whole whatever you are. Because you 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 put yourself in a you paint yourself in a corner. 
by saying I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. You can have certain values that you believe in, and sometimes one party embodies that more than the other. But, yeah, well, I but, can say this. But I'm disappointed. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I'm not going to say I'm disappointed. Um, I'm going to say I was surprised by it all, but I'm not scared. I'm not scared at all because, you know, one of my friends was talking about this. I'm like, listen, man, I know it's like the struggle, okay? I, I've been through it before. It's those people out there who haven't been through it before who's probably nervous and scared. You know what I mean? If anything, um, you know, this is where you, you, you really, you know, you really have your family, you really have your faith, and you leave everything else to the man upstairs. I put my faith in, in the man upstairs, man. I'm not, I ain't going to be scared because, we, you know, I felt it. <laughs> You know, you probably have too, man. You know, we, we it's, it's, not, it's, it's not. It's not. about. It's not about an abject. It's not about an abject fear of some unknown, because we've been shown what certain people are about. I, I think I was in Atlanta on election night, and I, I, I'm no political junkie. I'm no political expert. I'm, I'm certainly not trying to portray myself as that. But when I watched Van Jones on CNN, say what he said, and basically point to the elephant in the room that was not being addressed while the election was still going on, while the results were still coming in, mind you. And to hear nobody in that eight-person panel reply to the affirmative or to at least advance the conversation in the moment, I felt like that was, that was a microcosm of what it was like to be an African-American that we can say everything, we can, we can say it eloquently, we can say it with emotion, we can say it with common sense, we can say it plainly, and in the end, it would just be, okay, you know what, what's next? Let's not talk about that. Let's not elaborate. Let's not, that's part of the reason why we are where we are today. Because many people were unafraid, were, uh, were afraid, I think, Jabari, to have realistic conversations with their own and get to the bottom of prejudices. Because Lord knows if, if people had to take their country back or make America great again or whatever it was, I'm trying to figure out who had the country because <laughs> it wasn't me. And and not to get into, we're not trying to turn this into a political conversation or anything like that. But it, it, you know, it is a, you know, I don't say hot, but it is an important topic, and it's something that, Javari, we talk about this in locker rooms with players. The NBA is, you know, eighty percent black, predominantly African American. Players talk about it, maybe not as openly as they did in two thousand eight, you know, because it, it was it was a different frame. But players talk. And, you know, we talk to them, you know, be it as reporters or as citizens or at some level of commonality, it's something it's something that's talked about. Well, and like I said, that's that's the positive. That's one of the positives of it. Not only now are you talking about it, but, you know, now what this is going to do, it could do one of two things. A, the result of this, I think, will make more people pay attention to to every last candidate during the um, during during the primaries, um, during the the process of of picking, uh, you know who you're going to get to run as a president for both parties, uh, and then obviously paying attention to the election itself, and also in another two years, midterm elections come up, you know we're going to see how 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 many people feel the way that they filled in, and they're going to take it out on the Congress, they're going to take it out on the Senate, so we're going to see, you know what I mean? This this is the good thing about it because now people. If they haven't been woke up before, now they woke up. Now they understand the the consequences of not doing what you are, you know, what you have to do to make sure that the results favor the way that you know the majority of the country wanted to favor. Um, and and that's the bottom line. I mean, you know, it it it's, it's, it should have woke people up. That's what it should have done. And if it hasn't, then you know, next four to eight years, man, or eight four to eight, you know, possibly eight to twelve. You know, I mean, are you are you are you are you trying to? It seems like you're tacitly or subtly saying that this election happened because people were not paying attention to what was going on. No, or they were paying attention or, to what was going on, but they were paying attention to what was going on. But I think the majority of people, myself included, 
everybody felt, and, 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 and you tell me if you're different, did you not think that Hillary Clinton had the election in the back? Because we got to get the I real right on. No, 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 I, 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 I will that? tell you, I did not feel like I the election was in the back. By no, by, when I say by no means, by no means did I feel like that. After, after everything that I'd heard from uh, 538 and from the New York Times and from all these pollsters who said that it was a 99% chance or whatever it was, the more I heard, the less, the more uneasy I got because I felt like to a degree people were not being honest. I don't think people weren't paying attention. I think people were not being honest. Nobody yeah. likes to come out and admit that they're voting yeah. for this and type I, of and candidate. I, a friend of mine said the same thing. They said, listen, you can say whatever you want to in public, but when you get behind them curtains, it's just you. It's just you in that poll. It's you in that poll. It's just you in that poll. And I fear for I fear for the country. I will say the one thing that Pop said that, that resonated with me, and I don't know if people really caught it the way that they were supposed to when he said, he said, we are wrong. Yeah, now, that was that, that, that sent a shiver right down there. my spine. That sent yeah, a that shiver down my spine. There's a whole bunch of other world powers out there, man, who are looking and looking at us very closely to find to see if our demise is going to really happen because it is drooling at the mouth to take over. Um, so you know, we'll, we'll 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 wait and see and just pray for the best, man. That's all we can do is pray for the best. And um and and I thought Dave Chappelle hit it interesting as well when his get on Saturday Night Live. I thought that was you know brilliant. He said no matter people agree with it or not. Uh, I Which thought, part? You know, the end. You know about about you know giving people opportunities, even though it, it would appear that. Um, and I don't think a lot of people would agree with that, but no, I know, don't. I don't. I don't agree with turning the other cheek. Yeah, That's, I mean, uh, you don't turn the other cheek, Vinny, but at the same time, man, like. This is Donald Trump is going to be the next president of the United States. There's nothing that's going to stop that. You know what I mean? Either we can either we can sit up here and hope that this man comes to his senses and 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 you know all the the stuff that we've heard during the election that none of it hopes none of it's true that somebody can get in his ear that he'll his circle around him will say, listen, we gotta we gotta clean we gotta change this we gotta change our message to people. And we have to make, allow them and make them feel that not only are we saying it, that we are going to be, uh, that this administration is going to be for the people and not just for one side of the people, but for everybody. I don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. But at the same time, I mean, I think we both can agree that if we had to say, yo, in the next four years, I hope things go bad or I hope things go great. I think we both would agree that I hope things go great. You know, no, I don't want to see nobody suffer. I don't want to see this country fall. I don't want to see, you know, where we're at right now. I don't want to see that fall apart. Well, is it going to happen? I don't know. But I hope it doesn't happen. And that's what I think when you say you give people a chance, you just hope that the best can come out of a, a very un, uncertain, scary, what people consider a scary situation within the next four years. You just want to see that the best comes out of it and, and not the worst. And you speak optimistically about it, yeah. But, I mean, ain't nothing that you're going to do now. There's nothing that's going to change Donald Trump from taking the from taking the reins from Barack Obama in 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 almost a month and a half. Nothing's going to happen. He's the before he is president elect Donald Trump. He's going into office. Now you just got to hope for the best. And if you don't hope for the best, then what are you saying? What are you saying about this? If you want them to fail, because if they fail, then that means the country fails. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to see the country fail. So you almost got to hope that they succeed in a way that is fair for everyone, not just one side. That's it. You just got to hope for the best. You know what I mean? Even if you don't agree with them, even if you don't like them, you just got to hope that any policies that he puts forth, anything that he does is going to be for the best for the majority of the people in this, in, in this country. It's amazing. And I will say this. It's amazing. And we can leave it at this because we got to get the rail on. It's amazing that the same people who are always asked to forgive, that the same people who are always said, give it a chance, are never given a chance. Are never are never given the benefit of the doubt. The the moving of the goalposts in life are always always on one side. That's the problem that I have. Like I I when you say I appreciated what Kenny Smith and 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 those guys said because uh, I was in Miami uh, for Dwayne Wade's uh, comeback game uh, the day after the election and and. Um, everything that was said by the, the TNT panel. And everybody said, well, just give it a chance. Just give it a chance. 
Well, wait, was the last guy given a chance? Or was he battled at everything? So we have to be the bigger person. We have to be the bigger group of people. We're always we're always having to kowtow or to forgive. No, I don't I don't agree with that in theory. I wouldn't you know Jabari, you have a daughter. You wouldn't tell your daughter to someone who keeps mistreating her, oh, get, keep giving it a chance. Keep turning the other cheek. You wouldn't do that. I know you wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. But I, at the same time, I would, deep down inside me, and I think this is where my grandma comes out, I would I would hold for the best for that man that he can get his life in order, if you know, and that he doesn't mistreat somebody else. Ain't going to be with my daughter, but I would hope that he, you know, he does not do that, that he can come back from that mistake. You know what I mean? That he can change his life and, and recognize the things that he's done how he's hurt people, and my daughter included, and I was just hope for the best for him. I, I mean, I, that, what else, as as a God-fearing man, what what else do you do? You, do you just go get a gun and shoot him? No. You just got to hope for for the best for that man. I get, I, I get it. I, I get it, and I get the whole, you know, people who, who believe in, you know, faith and, and things of that. Like, I get that part. It, there's just other side. There's just other sides to this that makes me really cringe. Absolutely, man. I mean, I, I feel you. I I really do. I feel you. But you know, at the end of the day, like I said, you know, President elect Donald Trump. You know, we leave it there as we go and get the rail right on to the Point Game podcast. Guys, spent some time in the NBA. Long time in the NBA. Started his career with Miami Heat. Then from there went to Golden State. Then from there went to Southern Seventy Sixes. Then the Portland Trailblazers. And uh, he was just with the Los Angeles Clippers for the preseason. See what's on his mind. Darrell Wright on the Point Game Podcast. Darrell, how's everything, man? Man, everything is good. How are you, man? It's been a while, man. Yeah, man. You know, you you left him with the China on me, man. You know what I mean? But uh, <laughs> you had to go do what you had to do. You know what I mean? Uh, that 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 set with the Clippers, man. Were you were you expecting that? I mean, did you think it was going to last longer? Uh, you know, I think uh, I knew a lot was going to change once Paul, uh, you know, told everybody he was coming back. I think my chances were very high if he didn't come back. And, you yeah. know, it was just it was part of the game. You know, it was my first time ever being on that side. And, you know, I took it for what it was, and it was very humbling. And uh, something, you know, I wouldn't forget, you know, something that definitely motivated me to work even harder, even though, you know, the ball was pretty much out of my my hands, you know, as far as the decision and stuff. So yeah. it was a good little, you know, what month or uh, three weeks I was there. I learned a lot. I was able to work hard, uh, you know, bond with some great guys. So it was definitely a good experience. What, what, what's what's next, man? I mean, are you done? Or are you are you trying trying to going to come back? I mean, what's next? Yeah, well, right now I'm just working and uh, you know talking to my agent every two days and just trying to see what's out there for me. Uh, at this point in my career, you know, I'm just not into just jumping in something just because somebody said they, they could pay me this much money or this and that. You know, the situation has to be good for myself and not only, you know, me being married with two kids, you know. So if, if I do get into any situation, it's got to be something that's worth going and something I know is going to be solid. So just really waiting for something to open up for me. And when it does, you know, I'll be yeah, more than ready because I've been working my tail off and uh, getting in tip-top shape and just trying to see whatever it is so I could be ready to get there and do my job. Absolutely. Darrell, it's, it's interesting to hear the perspective of a player who's played so many different places and you've had to absorb so much information. Does it get, does it, I won't say confusing, but, you know, how difficult is it to adjust the way that you play, you know, when you have a specific skill set and you want to be able to showcase it and you're, and you're doing it for different teams, and you're trying to find the best fit for you. Is it is it difficult? Because one fit doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work somewhere else, and vice versa. You know, because you have a negative situation or experience, doesn't mean it's going to be negative everywhere else. You know what? Thank God for you know my early years in Miami. Thank God for you know great veteran players, which I think the game is really missing right now. Mm-hmm. And I think we really need to bring back back our veteran players. You know, I think it needs to be more than. You know, one or two guys it needs to be, you know, when I came in, when I, when at the end of the bench, it wasn't only me down there. It was uh, Shannon Anderson, Wesley Person, Steve Smith. All these guys that, you know, telling me to wait my turn, telling me how it's going to go. 
and what I need to do on a uh, nightly basis. And that, what that was is find a role. I worked hard to be a shooter. I was an athletic wing. And, you know, once my time came, I was an athletic wing and I was a shooter. And I tried to master that role so whenever I went to any situation, I could just walk right in and be good. Now guys are struggling, you know, to, to get in that role because they don't have nobody to tell them it's okay, you know, to get outside your comfort zone. It's okay to work on something else that you normally don't do. So I think a lot of guys are missing that art, you know, of having a better player around to tell them to keep working. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring up the uh, your Miami days um, because I'm, I'm in Chicago covering Dwayne Wade, and I know you guys are very close, you know, going back to that time. I'm curious about your experiences with him and what's it like seeing him in the Chicago Bulls uniform and, and, and seeing some of the, the tribulations that he's had to go through, you know, this summer, his breakup with the Heat franchise and going – back home, you know, how, how have you seen it as a friend and just someone who's, who's watching everything? Man, it's weird as hell. I'm going to tell you how, how I feel about it. It's weird, but thank God, thank God it's the Bulls. You know, somebody, a team that, you know, he admired coming up, you know, as a kid, you know, watching Michael Jordan, watching Scotty Pippen, watching those guys win all those rings. So it's not as bad because I know one team that was in there, front runner was uh, Denver. That would have just been totally weird to me. So, thank God it's a team that wears the same colors as him and somebody that he grew up watching. So, it's a little bit easier on the, on the eyes for me. So, uh, you know, I'm, but I'm happy for him, man. He's happy, and that's what it's all about, man. It's a business, and people get caught up in a business and, and don't love the game no more because they just understand this is a business. I could be out of here at any time, and, you know, they feel like people don't care about them and things like that. But when you can find a love for the game at the highest level, that's when you're going to be the most successful on the court because you're having fun. That's what it's all about, having fun. Yeah. You know what, man? I, I want to stay in Miami. I know that's where it all began for you. And, and I went back and I was looking at some of the old articles that, um, you know, about you, mainly, you know, when you were in Philadelphia. And I remember you were saying how, you know, when you first got into to the league, how it, it was difficult for you because you didn't play and you were adjusting to the lifestyle. You were a millionaire, a teenage millionaire is what I think somebody called it uh, back in 2004, man. What was that transition like for you coming right out of high school, making all this money, entering, you know, the NBA? Man, it was it was definitely different. And that's something I thank God to this day is that, you know, my, having my mom and dad at home, you know, as a child and them, you know, teaching me how to be an adult, how to, you know, carry myself, how to be in places on time, how to be a hard worker. So those things that they installed in me at a young age when I was thinking they were just being so mean and just so out of their mind with their rules, all that stuff translated to when I went to prep school for the year and I had to get on time to class, wake up on my own, make my own bed up, uh, make sure my clothes was clean, and then get to Miami and have to do it all over again on my own at 18. All those things they installed, you know, it, it was in the rule book. It was in the handbook, you know, this shit fine for this. Well, this is what my mom and dad was telling me. I can't do around here. So this is the same rules I have to uh, follow in line with. So I think that supporting cast of uh, family and friends and, once again, having veteran players and having fear of uh, Pat Riley getting mad at you uh, <laughs> could go a long way as well. So I just try to be on my best behavior try to do uh, everything right. You know, I had my times where, you know, I was being mischievous, 18-year-old, being late sometimes, but I didn't let it happen where it was a problem. So right. I just, you know, stayed in the gym, worked hard, tried to stay off South Beach as much as I can. <laughs> That's the problem, man. I was just talking, I, mean, I can't imagine having so much money and playing in the league and living on South Beach, and then you won a championship uh, with that team. I mean, that must have been crazy. Oh, man, my, my grandkids are in for a treat, man, when I have all these stories to tell them, man. I cannot wait to – I can't wait to tell them all the stories. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe how hit their grandfather was. My kids already think I'm a square already, but uh, my grand my grandkids really not going to be able to believe the stories I'm going to tell them. <laughs> you got to give us one, man. When did you – when you, on, on South Beach, you had to come, had come to a point where you said, damn, I'm really – I'm really – I really made it. It had to be a point. 
just going to the hottest places, not even clubs, just going to Prime 112 at the game. Uh, you know, the Delano, which was uh, big when I was coming, when I was uh, in Miami. Uh, what else? The Fours, just going to places to eat, uh, have dinner, even going out. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say I never went out. I was able to, you know, slide in the club with a you know, few of my older friends, you know, and just living the life, man. You know, I was in high school just a year ago, and now I'm partying with guys I watched on TV all these years and, and, and seeing these beautiful women and, and, and good people around, you know, it was just, it was, it was crazy to me, but, uh, you know, I was able to, to be focused there as well. So I didn't let that, you know, get me. I didn't let South Beach beat me. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, you know, you, you're a married man, yo. Are you, you happily married? I know you're doing your thing, man. You're my man though. You got to keep it real with me. How many strip clubs was it, man? It had to be about four or five, right? It had to be about four or five strip clubs. You know what? I really wasn't into that. I really wasn't into it. At the end. I just never really got into Why I got to give them my money? Yeah. <laughs> I never that's really true. got into it. So I stayed, I stayed away from that, to tell you the truth, man. I stayed away from it. I used to hear about, you know, Luke and all these different people about their parties and stuff, but I was never into it like that. Well, if you can get me in a Luke party, let me know, because I will definitely go, man. Most, most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> you know, what, what was it? What was it like? Like you said, you talk you talk about coming to the league and playing for a guy like Pat Riley, and he has a reputation as an as a coach and as an executive of being this, you know, iron will, you you know, stubborn coach. What was it like that? What type of adjustment was that like for you as a young player having to walk in? I know you mentioned you know your parents setting the example for you. But when you're an adult and you're dealing with Pat Riley in Miami, you know, what type of adjustment was that like? Man, just when I looked around that locker room and seen guys focus and how they, you know, react to the things that they that he said, and his, 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 his favorite example always to me when he used to bring me in that office once a week and, you know, we just talk about, you know, everything. And the person that he always brought up was Alonzo Mourning. And the way he carried himself and the way he, you know, addressed Coach Riley and stuff like that. He showed him the utmost respect, and Coach Riley did the same, you know. Uh, a lot of people hear about his training camps, hear about his practices, but that was all for the better of us. So guys really respect the fact that he was a winner, number one, and two, whatever he preached, you know, he, he really, you know, he preached what, uh, what, he, what he wanted us to do, and that was go out there and win and be the hardest-working team, be the nastiest team. And guys bought into it because they knew if we bought into it, we watched the Showtime Lakers. We watched all those great teams he had, and uh, it ended up becoming true. You know, we put the work in, and we ended up winning the championship. So not only myself being a teenager and seeing a, a Gary Payton, a, a Jason Williams, who a lot of people thought had character issues in his career, buy into a Shaq, you know, being, you know, one of the best players around the league, D-Wade coming in his own. Those guys responded to him. We responded, and we, we soaked in all that knowledge that he was giving us. So I think guys really, really just bought into what he was what he was preaching to us. Did he ever cuss you out before? Oh, what? Yeah, he cut me. <laughs> the funniest story ever was he tried to kick me out of me. We had went on the slide, and uh, he was mad at me. He was mad at Shaq. He tried to kick me out of me. He was like, you get the hell out of here because it's going to be too funny for you. If I was 18, everything was fun. He cussed somebody out or something or say something crazy. I, I, you know, I smirked and couldn't control it. And, you know, he get, get the hell out. And, uh, you know, my teammates like, no, 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 you stay right here, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, that's one of, that's one of my, my role models since I was a kid, man. I have all the, all the respect and love for Coach Riley because, you know, he changed my life and he installed a lot of great habits. And, so what happens, what, uh, what happens when Pat Riley says you get the hell out of practice? And Dwayne Wade, Shaq, and Alonzo Moore and say, no, no, you stay. Either you dealing with the guy who can make your or break your professional career or you can deal with guys who are in your locker room that you got to deal with every day. No, I think that that whole thing what he did since we were, you know, uh, not playing well at the time, that's what he wanted to see. He wanted my teammates to have my back and be like, no, you stay right here. You with us. If, you know, if we all in and he's yelling it all up, we all going to take it at, you know, at the same time. We all going to uh, sit here through this meeting. So that's what that was, man. He, so I, 
never know with Pat, man. He was probably trying to do that to see what my teammate reaction was going to be. So, you know, I, I stood right there because, hey, Shaq said, stay right here. I'm staying right here. <laughs> 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 we had so many, you know, Shaq is one of the, the, the most, he's the most realist, one of the most realist dudes ever, man. Um, being right. around him, what, what was that like for, for you at such a young age? Because I was listening to his Hall of Fame speech, and I thought one of the best things that he said was when he was talking about Allen Iverson when, you know, he told, I forget which teammate it was, to let Allen go past him because he wanted to put Allen on, he wanted to put him on his back. You know what I mean? And, and he did, and Allen just still kept coming at him and coming at him, man. But, you know, he, he's just a real dude. What was it like being around being around him at your age? Man, it was awesome, man. I can't even lie, man. Those what, three or four years we played together was were, were great years. Uh, you know, from day one, he took me in as a little brother. Uh, and it was, it was just cool, man, just the fact that I, this dude I was just watching as a Laker, me being a SoCal kid, a Laker fan, he's my teammate now. He's taking me under his wing. You know, he's just showing me how to dress. Just little small things, taking me out to eat, just how to act, you know, stuff like that. So just playing with him, you know, he was a great teammate. Uh, you know, you always knew he'd be there. He, he always wanted that ball. He, he, when you threw it to him, you better throw it, uh, throw it in there hard where nobody else can get it. And he going to, you know, get you a bucket. So, you appreciate guys like that, man. You know, our relationship, our friendship go a long way. Uh, I don't have to talk to him for another three, four years. When I see him, it's going to be like the last time we've seen each other. You know what I mean? So, yeah. that's a great guy, great teammate, and just a great friend to have. 2010-2011, man. Uh, that was your best season. You know, you averaged 16 points uh, a game approximately. Played 82 games, you know, four points, three rebounds, man. Uh, Keith Smart was the head coach back at Golden State. What do you most remember about that season? Man, every time I got up to that scoring table before the game, before I took shook, uh, Keith's hand, he used to tell me, let's go, baby. This is a new time. Like, he used to let me know, remind me all the time, let's go, show him everything, you know. And uh, he was one of those player coaches and uh, – I have so much love for Keith Smart because you know he, he gave me that he gave me that 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 juice every night to go out there and showcase what guys haven't been able to see in the last six years of my in the league. And that goes back to the question you asked me about you know coming into a role. You know when I was in Miami, I was a defender, knock down a corner shot, get a two lobs. When I was in uh, Golden State, they asked me to be a three point shooter, a scorer, and a defender. So he was giving me. That opportunity to go out there and show everybody what I've been working on, what I can do. So uh, that year was just great, man, playing with Steph, playing with Monte, D. Lee, you know, just getting so many easy shots because those guys are so good. Wait, so wait, wait, wait. I, I just – something just registered in my head. You played with Steve Smith, so you had to play yeah. against Smitty. How many yeah. times did he catch you on the baseline with the Smitty? Every time. He used to be like, every time, you <laughs> And here, he'd be like, here it comes, young fella, here it comes. <laughs> and he'd get me with that, man. I'd be like, how is this old man, slow as I don't know what, get me with this weak move, man? <laughs> you played with Steph, too, man. You 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 uh, you uh surprised at all by, you know, the fact of where he is right now in his career? I mean, because you played at a time where, it, you know, it was beginning to be, you know, if it's Monte's team, if Steph was coming to his own, or he, all, he had all those early ankle problems, but, you know now to see where he's he he where he first entered this league into to where he is now man that that's a that's a huge jump man the right was on the wall man that guy worked so hard he's first one there last one to leave and me and Monte used to look at him all the time and the guy was like yo man you know this was this was what my ninth year I'm like dog yeah man he working too hard like we got a game today we need them legs you know <laughs> but that that's all he knew was to work hard and when you're an underdog and you've been counted out your whole life. You gotta do. You, you gotta put the extra work in. You gotta do what the next man don't don't want to do. And I, that's one thing I respect the staff. You know what? Which it was in the weight room. If it was in on the court, you know he put the time in. He put the work in. So him having all the success right now, he, he deserves it because he put the work in. I saw him for two years straight when he could, when he was able to put the work in. He was the last guy out of there. And, you know, kids see all these crazy shots he makes. He practices that. That's why he's able to do it. But at first, he mastered to do it the right way before he got fancy with it. Anything at all that, that surprised you about him right now that you that you didn't see when he were teammates with him? He's 
he's a willing defender. I think he tried back then, but, you know, he, he was still trying to adjust. His body was changing. And now, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to say Steph is a lockdown defender, but he's getting a lot better, you know, at trying to, you know, be tough and, and make it hard for whoever he's playing against. So yeah. I, that's something I respect. You know, he got everything else on the up end. He's trying to, you know, do his job so his team could be, be better. So that's probably one thing. And uh, his leadership. You know, it was a little different back then. It was the second year. You know, you had Monte, you had myself, you had D. Lee. He didn't really have to say much. And now I see him, you know, gathering guys, you know, being a leader, being vocal, and showing his emotion, man. You know, getting, it's okay to get mad and show that you, you're mad and get a tech here and there. I, I like that. I like to see that, you know, that he, he, he's acting like that as well. Yeah. Well, we're going to get ready to get you out of here in a few, man. But before I go, just two more things. One, Ben, when I was looking up old uh, articles about the rail, a name popped up, right? It was Russell Westbrook's uh-huh. name. And Russell Westbrook praised you for being a good dresser. And I forgot oh, yeah. all those times in Portland, I was looking at this shoe. You were Russell Westbrook before Russell, like, really blew up. You were the first, but people just never recognized it. You had the shoes, you had the outfits. They never gave you props. Yeah, you know, that's how it go, man. You know, superstars <laughs> always don't get the love, man, you know, but... It's all good. You know, Russ, me and Russ went to high school together, you know, back when we was wearing uh, baggy white tees that wasn't our, nowhere near our side. So uh, whenever, you know, the little bro give me love, you know, I, I respect it because, you know, that's somebody who haven't forgot where they came from, you know, with all the success that uh, Russell's had on and off the court. You know, he's a real dude, man. So I got to respect him for that and what he do for our community, man. It's just good to see where he is in his career, all the accomplishments and everything that's coming with it because he deserves it. So he was dressing like this back in high school too, man? You kind of saw it? Me or Russell? Russ. No, we was, you know, we inner city kids, white tees, baggy jeans, and a uh, few George. You know, once <laughs> I got to Miami, I got a little money in my pocket. I started changing my, uh, changing the designer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I feel you. No, no more. You wasn't shopping at Macy's no more, man. It was like it was Nordstrom's and stuff like that, man. Or hey, Patton. you know what? Damon Jones took me to Neiman Marcus. And he was like, yeah, I'm about to go to Neiman Marcus. I'm like, who the hell is Neiman Marcus? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, shout out to Damon Jones for getting my swag up back in the day. <laughs> so, real, man, we appreciate all your time, bro. We got to get you back on this, man. It's probably one of the realest podcasts ever, man. I appreciate all your time, man. No problem. Thanks for having me, fellas. All right. Appreciate you, bro. Good point, game. No problem. Appreciate all your time. Let me catch all your first news and notes. MySpace.com and Press News.com. And hit up any Goodwill CS in Chicago. Check out his work.